Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. And I'm your co-host, uh, Colton Watson. Aren't we doing this in segments? Sure. I don't know. So, like, how are we going to do the introductions if I'm on a part and then Daniel's on a part and then maybe Lounge is on another part? Yeah, I mean, good point. Um, no, it's just me and Colton today because uh, we're mostly talking about a sport that people are more excited for. Um, you know, football, there's really not much to say. I said when I tweeted out about this podcast that we would do like 2% game recap, 8% big picture football stuff, and then like 90% basketball. Um, I don't even know if we're going to talk that much football, uh, but I guess technically we do need to address that Mississippi State lost to Kentucky 24 to 3. Uh, they did a fantastic job of honoring the 1998 team by losing to Kentucky, just like the 98 team did. Um, just a great job of re- remembering that that season of Bulldog football. Uh, yeah, no, that was a disgusting game. Terrible, terrible offense. Defense wasn't all around bad, although I do think it would have looked worse if you know Kentucky had been trying a little bit more than they were. I mean, I'm not going to fully take away credit from State's defense. They did play decently well, got some stops at a point where the game was still – it never felt in doubt because State's offense couldn't do anything, but at a point where, like, theoretically State could get back into the game. Um, but, uh, yeah, just just was not a good night. And, I, I mean, that it, it makes it very straightforward. I think either you have to win out the rest of the way or you are going to see a coaching change or you should see a coaching change. Um, and I don't think any of us believe State's going to win out. I think we pretty much all believe Mississippi State's going to lose their final two SEC games, uh, starting with Texas A&M, where they're about an 18-point underdog uh, in College Station, which tells you a lot about the direction of this football program when they are 18-point underdogs to this Texas A&M team. Uh, not great. And then I think we all expect the Egg Bowl to go how the Egg Bowl is probably going to go. I mean, the only takeaways from this game, of course, are that Chris Parson does look like a guy who could be a lot of fun for the future. Uh, Mike Wright was was a disaster. Um, I, I just – it's very funny the number of people who thought playing Mike Wright would suddenly fix the offense. I'm not saying you weren't wrong to, to want to see something new out there. Uh, I think all of us said at a certain point you do have to at least try him and see if it's better. But the number of people who were just hell-bent, the Mississippi State's offense would be incredible once, once we got a running quarterback back there. Oh, we wouldn't take all these sacks. Yeah, well, about that. Um, Mike Wright, fun guy. He's a package quarterback and a, a guy you can fill in in a spot at best. He, he's not a starter. Um, Chris Parson, though, does look like a guy who could be exciting. I know I'm rambling here. Go he's ahead. Your middle Tennessee State quarterback, Mike Wright. Yeah. I mean, he's from Georgia, so maybe like Georgia State. Okay, I didn't. I actually wasn't sure about that. So, yeah, Georgia State, Atlanta, perfect. Um. I can guarantee you he will not be Georgia Southern's quarterback because Georgia Southern runs the air raid. And by God, Mike, Mike Wright is not playing in an air raid offense. Um, he would have been a good quarterback for Georgia Southern a few years ago when they were the triple option. That's one of the more impressive turnarounds, a team going from literally being the triple option. They haven't been the true triple for a long, for a while, but the, even then it's been like you know spread triple stuff, where now they're mm-hmm. air raid, which is pretty crazy to watch. And they're good, too. Um but yeah, no, Mike Wright. It just it it didn't work out, um, and you just I, I, 
there's just really nothing you can do on this offense. There's nothing to be excited about with this team. I know Chris Parson obviously showed flashes, and I know there's been the conversation about he just needs to be the guy the rest of the way. In theory, I would agree, but I know like Zach Arnett talked about Will Rogers is going to try to give it a – he's practicing, and he wants to try to give it a go. And I mean, Zach, Zach Arnett would have to have some assurances from the from, – from the administration that he's not going to be fired because he has to win these games to keep his job, or he has to – he probably feels that way. So like why I don't I, I mean you might you the Mississippi State fan might think oh we need to start Chris Parson but is that in a sense of self preservation why why would you <laughs> well here's my thing like if Will cannot go it needs to be Chris Parson you can't like if it's gonna be Will can't play you cannot start Mike Wright you have to True. throw Chris Parson out there because to see what you've got see if it gives you any kind of a better chance um. If Will can go, and I know some people have said, you know, like it doesn't matter, just play Parson. I look, I get that from the standpoint of that's probably better for Mississippi State, but I will say that if Will Rogers wants to play, I'm not going to tell Will Rogers he can't play. This season has sucked. This season has been tough on him. Obviously, the past 12 months have been very tough on him, given the the things that have transpired. And you're talking about a guy who, for as polarizing a player as he is, he's still going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks MSU's ever had, like. Yes, I know people talk about it's a product of the offense, whatever. The guy still has his name all over the record books. He deserves the right to close out his career at State the way he would like to. So if Rodgers wants to play, then I'm, I'm not – Rodgers needs to get to play. Um, and, you know, that's kind of my two cents on that. But, look, we we know – Also, I will uh, – and say what you will about Will – say what you want about Will Rodgers. His legacy has done nothing but skyrocket the past three games. Correct. And I know people say, well, the offense was still bad when he was in there. It, it wasn't great, but it wasn't this bad. <laughs> he at least had the game against South Carolina, showed you something. Um, I mean, yeah, the, game no. against the, the game against Alabama was the best offensive game that you've had like, in Alabama, against Alabama in five or six years. Well, and then what I will say is Mike, Mike Wright scored a touchdown against Bama. Mike Wright did provide a spark in that game. Like, Rodgers, I don't think, played great against Alabama. He hit a few throws. Um, um, I, but I think overall, yes. Mike, I think if you don't there. handcuff Will Rodgers against Arizona, that's probably a, a better offensive game for him, too. That that whole game plan was screwed. No, you're, he's been put in a terrible situation. They have not called an offense really for most of the year that would have, even if he were healthy, put him in the best position to succeed. Uh, I wish him all the best at Western Kentucky next season playing for Drew Hogsett. Um Just, <laughs> I, I don't have any intel. That's just taking a, a guess. Um, but, because I mean, that, that would make sense. But look, no, Will Rogers, I think, deserves the right to close out his career. But look, at the end of the day, football, the conversation at this point, unless the world ends and we wake up and somehow I, I don't know how we'd wake up after the world ends, but whatever, go with me. Somehow Mississippi state wins these next three football games. And it's like, okay, wow, cool. Because I, I know a lot of people will still say they would want Arnett gone from that. I think there's not a world where Mississippi state wins these next three games and they don't play really well. Um, I think they could luck their way into one, conference win and luck their way into a bowl i don't think they can luck their way into seven and five at this point if that were to happen okay you did you closed out the season well congrats 
Otherwise, Mississippi State needs to make a change. And in fact, I mean, right, just as it stands now, Mississippi State needs to make a change. You can't go on with the football program as it is. Um, and I think, I mean, our, our net just, it, it hasn't worked. Um, don't like it for him. You know, I get he's been a good part of the program for the past few years. I get that he had a vision that for the program that a lot of people were excited for, but it just hasn't worked. Um, and you got to do something to correct this. So, and that, and that's that on football. Yeah. For the, in the coming weeks, the football discussion, barring a miraculous unforeseen turnaround is going to center around. All right. Who are we going after? Because otherwise, I mean, the writing is on the wall. Um, I haven't checked Gene's page yet, but Steve Robertson, obviously like he does, you know, his, his reporting. And like, I guess like last week he checked in on, you know, how are we feeling about things? Because people wanted to know. Um, and he's, his his sources were kind of like that they, they're not – there's no one pushing to make a move right now. Steve earlier today said, I'm going to have another update, and it does sound as though the tides have turned some. So, at this point, like, we, we know what it is. Uh, we're going to see a change. A sport, though, that we can be excited about, basketball. Uh, we sleep in May. Um, college basketball's bad. Uh, women's basketball, they had their season opener last night as we record uh, that we all got to watch with horrific technical difficulties um, because the audio was bad for whatever reason. And then for most of the first half, they didn't have a score bug. Um, hey, it is what it is. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that game and the women's team later. We are going to start over on the men's side, who's their season tips off tomorrow. I guess today as you're listening. Uh, but tonight, tomorrow night as we record against Arizona State um, up in the Barstool Invitational. Obviously, State played in that last year uh, against – who did they play? Akron? Uh, and, and it went well. State got themselves a nice win to open up the season. Uh, shout out to Brandon Walker for being able to get us involved in this. Competition steps up this time, considering that you're going up against Arizona State, who was a tournament team a year ago, has a really good coach, Bobby Hurley. Uh, we'll preview that game some later, but – Men's basketball season, like, this is about the most excitement that we've had for it in such a long time. Um, you know, obviously, there was the the feels like 96 year a couple seasons ago, which ended up being Howland's last year. That's kind of felt like forced excitement. It kind of felt like, okay, we brought in these it transfers. It, it, was, it was memes it, is it was what, it, what it was. Forced. We we were trying to have fun with a team that, look, loaded up in the board. Right. You, you went hard in the portal and got some players who on paper looked like they were going to be really good. And it just kind of ended up being another Ben Allen basketball team. It was just, you know, oh, so close to having a really nice season and pulling off some big wins. They just couldn't do it. And obviously, you know, we had the change that we had to make. Uh, and we get Chris Jans in. Now we've, the, there's more excitement around men's basketball than we've had in a long, long time. But of course, then we get the biggest gut punch of all with Tolu Smith. Uh, announcing that he's going to be gone for all of non-conference play and then, you know, at some point into January, so the start of SEC play. Um, I know Chris Jans has hinted at maybe seeing if we could push that timetable up, but it's going to be what it is. That's tough. And it, it's a big blow to the excitement when you consider that that's your best player and so much of what you do runs through him. I mean, last year he was your offense, right, for so much of the season. It was – Tolu Smith better have, you know, 
20 and 11 here, or we're probably in trouble um, because of just how bad you were offensively as a team. But he was able to provide you that on a lot of nights. And now you got to figure out how you're going to be able to navigate things without it. Our, our format for, for talking through this stuff, it, we're going to hit, you know, biggest questions. Who do we think are our best newcomer, breakout player, optimisms, concerns, and then we'll just kind of give our, our thoughts on the team. So starting with men's basketball, the biggest question is how do you navigate the loss of Tony Smith? Now, of course, it's not the whole season, but you got to go through non-conference play without. And then you don't have Keyshawn Murphy either, who's a guy that I know they were expecting to be able to take a step forward this year and uh, really be an impact player for State. He's going to miss a considerable amount of time as well. So when you talk about that, you have to go through your non-conference slate, which isn't a grueling schedule, but you've got a few tough games in there, and including this, this season opener. And then the start of your SEC slate, look, you get South Carolina, who's like the consensus worst team in the SEC, and then it's Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, back-to-back-to-back. That's not a great start if you're talking about not having Tolu Smith potentially for all of those games. So, I mean, what it comes down to, Jimmy Bell transferred in for West Virginia. Jaquan Scott's a guy that I know that, that who came in this year who had a big performance in their exhibition against Southern Miss. I believe he had nine points in that. And then, you know, they've talked – uh, he's forward. He's like six nine, six ten. Oh, I thought it was like six seven. I must have, I must have looked at something wrong. He he's going to factor into that group. I mean, he, he, at least in terms of bigger bodies on the floor, he's one of your bigger options that you've got. Right. Um, because guy guy Chol, it doesn't really sound like he's going to be. I mean, he's a freshman, right? But it doesn't really sound like he's going to factor in much this year. Um. Jimmy Bell, obviously, though, like you brought him over for this purpose. Like you need to, him to be the guy. You hope you can get more out of squ- uh, Scott. Cam Matthews, they've talked about playing him and like going with a really small lineup with him at the five. You know what you get from him from a physicality standpoint, from a defensive standpoint. And then just like last year, especially late in the season, he became a guy that if you needed a bucket or needed to make a free throw, he could do it for you. But is he ever going to be a guy that you could like run your offense through? No. Um, that's not that's not his role in this team. Uh, but I would especially think with him, you know, playing the five, I don't know if you can really do that. They're going to have to figure it out, though. Like, that's kind of the biggest question is how can you navigate not having Tolu Smith and then obviously not having Keyshawn Murphy as well, who are going to be some of your top options there. Um, which some of that leads into can you get more production out of your back? Um, you brought in Andrew Taylor for a reason. Josh Hubbard's a guy that there's a ton of excitement around. But you know, you know what you have in Rams Davis. You know what you have in Shaquille Moore, which unfortunately you're going to miss Shaquille Moore for a couple games now because of a you know suspension. You, you've got some good pieces back there. It's just can you get those guys to take a step forward where it's now, okay, we don't have to run our entire offense through the post. Like if we need to knock down a shot and play some perimeter game, we can do it. If Or, I mean, if we need guys who can go and just drive the basket and, and go up and, and get a layup, get an and one opportunity. Do we have those guys who can consistently do that on this team? You've addressed that with the portal. You've addressed that with the freshman class coming in or the the recruiting class coming in. That's just going to be one of those big questions. But more than anything, no matter how you do it, you've got to avoid a disaster start. You can't take more than a couple losses in non-conference play. And SEC play, ideally, I think you got to be able to start two and two. Um, Can you get one win? Like, you expect to beat South Carolina. You have to get that win. Because, I mean, look, there's, there's going to be a bad team. Can you get one between Alabama, Kentucky, and uh, Tennessee? That's not the order. It's Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky in order. Um, 
You had a couple of those games in Starkville between Tennessee and Alabama. Now, Tennessee's preseason SEC favorite. Alabama kind of just completely flipped their roster. And then Kentucky is like classic Calipari, Kentucky, where it's like all freshmen this year. Do you hope maybe those teams, first couple games of SEC play? Obviously, you have a non-conference slate to work things out, but I think you have to hope that those teams are still finding their way early in the year. Um, that maybe coming into Starkville, if you can get a good crowd, and look, maybe Tobu's ready to go. Like they've, they're maybe you can have him back for that point. But that, I'll tell that's you gonna... what, I'll I'll tell you what, I thought that we were going to miss him for a lot longer when the men's basketball team came out on the homecoming game the other day and they're throwing T-shirts and Tolu is on the, not the crutches, but like the double canes that like wrap around your wrist, you know? And then when everybody's throwing shirts, he starts hopping on one foot and he's leaning like way out over, over himself, like probably like a 45 degree angle, trying to hop on one foot and throw these shirts. And I was just like, stop, like somebody stop this man before he, falls and hits his head or breaks his other foot or I was I I, I was like I, I saw the basketball season flash before our eyes for those of y'all that were at the game th- uh Saturday you understand what I'm talking about well I mean when they put out the first statement I, I said this on the show the way they phrased it like you know at some point in SEC play made it sound to me like oh they don't know if this guy's gonna play this year yeah like it did the, the, the phrasing of that is how that came across. Thankfully, it sounds a little bit more optimistic where, again, Chris Jans is kind of saying, Chris Jans, almost like the tone of his voice in the interview he did with Brian Haydad, was almost to the extent of, we kind of feel, he didn't say this, but it came across like he thinks, there's a chance we could get this guy back for SEC play. Now, how realistic is that? I don't know. And obviously, you don't want to rush him. You can't risk a worse injury by throwing him out there when he's not ready to go. He's, you got to let him take his time. But that that is priority number one for Mississippi State is find a way to get through the start of this season without your best player. Now, I kind of just talked about this. I mean, the, the other big question for the team, do, do we finally have shooters, right? Didn't really get to see Didn't get to see Andrew Taylor in the exhibition, but obviously that that is your transfer coming in from Marshall where he averaged 20 points a game. That is – the guy you got out of the portal to come and be that guy to come and knock down a shot. Then you got Josh Hubbard, who, of course, you know, your big recruiting win. He led the way with 13 points uh, against Southern Miss in the exhibition and showed that potential that he's got. I think he's going to be an impact player right away. Um, and I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. Like, my best newcomer is Taylor. My breakout player is Hubbard. I think those two are going to be a huge part of what Mississippi State does this season. And I think that you've got to get that from them because – you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of Tony Smith this season. And it's got, it's, you're going to have to see a little bit of a shift in how you run your offense with him not on the court. Um, which would be the last question is can this team please just make free throws? Like, and that was a problem against Southern Miss in the exhibition. Um, and I know that's just kind of how this team is. They got kind of better down the stretch, but it was, you know, they're very street with it. They were one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. Obviously, that's one of those frustrating things when you've got a team. And again, maybe you alleviate this by not having to get everything be, you know, just driving in the basket, everything be an and one opportunity. Last year it was all you you if Mississippi State got in the paint, foul them because they're not gonna make the free throws. You know, hopefully that's not not an issue this season. 
Uh, look, biggest reason for optimism for this team is you got five starters back from returning the team. You're starting five, all return. Um, and you added those key pieces through the portal and the signing class that are the places where you need a spark as a team with better shooting ability. You're getting that with them. Um, and then you can couple that with, like, you know, you're going to play elite defense. You know, that's what this team is going to do. So, do we finally have the shooting and the defense that that's your optimism for this to be a big season. Now the concern would be that Tolu Tolu's injury just kills you, right? You take some just ugly losses early. You get off to a slow start in SEC play. And then it's like, do you put yourself in a spot where you can't overcome that? Because you don't want to be in a position where it's like, well, we have to basically dom- be dominant in SEC play the rest of the way for this to work. Because then it's like, well, what does Tolu look like when he comes back? Is he fully healthy, fully ready to go once he returns? Does he get off to a slow start? Is he shaky early on? That's where this becomes like disaster scenario, which, of course, look, if that's the case, it's just like, no, you can't really blame anyone, right? You'd be talking – it wouldn't be everybody turns against Chris Jans. It would just be – that'd be very Mississippi State if that were to happen. Um, If you found yourself in a spot where the season just falls apart because of Tolu Smith being out. Um, do you have any thoughts on any of that? Um, just overall for the team, you mentioned you made a point. Uh, Chris Jans, if that does end up happening, if 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 the season goes poorly and it's because even when Tolu Smith gets back, he's not you know twenty and ten. Does Chris Jans kind of get a mulligan? In my like, mind, are we still going to be excited. Obviously, look, huh? it, it, in my mind, he would. It would obviously depend on, like, okay, how is he coaching the team game by game? Like, are you are you still – are you running – it's tough to say because maybe you can't run a lineup out there that's effective, but, like, you, do you still not maximize what you have? Which I think Chris Jans is a guy who will. Like, I, I don't have any questions about that guy as a coach. Considering how he maximized the roster last year, I feel right. confident that Chris Jans can find a way, even with his best player gone, I'm going to get everything I can out of this team. So I would I would think, man, if, if, if it just doesn't work out this year because the injury got to you so much, you know, it, it sucks, but I would not put much on him for that. Fair. Um, just, I mean, take a look at the schedule for State going through the non-conference opponents, because that's obviously going to be a big part when you talk about building a tournament resume. Uh, Ken Palm ratings for State's major non-conference opponent. State is 31st, by the way, which is higher than every team that they're playing in the non-conference. Uh, Arizona State, 79th to open the year. Washington State, 84th. Then it, you're either going to play Nebraska, uh, not Nebraska, Northwestern or Rhode Island. That's going to depend on you're in that tournament with uh, Wazoo and then those two. You hope you get Northwestern. They're 49th. Rhode Island is 194. Um, so, I mean, Rhode Island traditionally is a respectable mid-major, but I think they've been down for the past few years. Northwestern obviously was a tournament team. Um, you want to get the Wildcats there, ideally. Georgia Tech, 104. Tulane, 103. Murray State, 127. I didn't really check on what the Racers did last year without Matt McMahon. Um, North Texas, 86, though. I mean, that's a program that's in a good spot. Rutgers, 70th. Uh, that's just always a tough, tough team. I was just curious since we played them in an exhibition. USM is one thirty six and Ken Palm. 
so I, look, I know State grinded out that game, but of course you were short handed. Okay, good question. How is the Sun Belt a multi bid league in baseball? And usually one of those stronger G5 football leagues, and they are an annual one bid league in basketball. Like Southern Miss is, is supposed to be third, second, third, or fourth in that conference, and they're 136. That's crazy. The Sun, it is weird. The Sun Belt has never really taken off. Um, I guess it's just one of the, well, okay. I think about it this way. What are the two sports over the past decade the SEC has done the most to invest in? Football and baseball. What sport did the SEC neglect for years and years and years? Basketball. The Sun Belt is the exact same footprint. I think. I guess, but but I mean we've we've caught up in basketball now. We have, and I but I think you're starting to see it in the Sun Belt. James Madison okay, cool. just beat Michigan State. You know, which I guess. That's the so, epitome of brutality. It was it's so good to see those tweets back. Um, so, like, I mean, Southern Miss, though, has seen a turnaround. Georgia State has been a good team in, in the past. I know that. Um, but, like I said, you know, James Madison, obviously, with what they did. I don't know if there's going to be more than a one-bid league this, this year. But, like, I could see the Sun Belt improving over the next – like, South Alabama uh, has, has a pretty good coach, from what I understand. Um. So that's a league. Texas State, that's another team. They were winning a lot of games a couple years ago, at least. That's a league that I could see start to build up over the next few years. The USA is better than Sunbelt, I think. Probably, but I mean, CSU is. Atlantic. What was that? Well, they're in the American Conference now. What were they? Okay, yeah. They they made that move this season. Is New Mexico State in, in Conference USA now? Maybe. Uh, no, they're still the whack. They're the whack. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know what Western Kentucky is going to look like post stand. Um, yeah. So why I, I is really he coaching at Memphis? How did that happen? Uh, because where else would he be, Colton? Think about Memphis basketball and what people think of Memphis when it comes to getting players. Who else would you hire? Look. Well, isn't he an interim? He's an interim. Right now he is, yeah. So how did he become the interim at Memphis? Well, I, I don't I can't remember uh God, what's his name? The the head coach. Penny Hardaway? Yeah, Hardaway got suspended for something. I don't remember what it was. Uh I think it was some recruiting thing. So, but Hardaway's Hardaway is still there though. he can come back. Unless I miss something. I, I I'll admit, like, I, as much as I love college basketball, I don't, like, super keep up with news throughout the season. Um, it's like a see. Doug Novak. It's not like a Doug Novak situation, though. He has a three-game suspension for the start of the season due to uh, recruiting violation. Yeah. Duh. Um, yeah. Okay. I did see I did see somewhere it was three games, I guess. I did see that. So, that makes sense. But it's just crazy how I was like, oh, my gosh, Rick Sandsbury is a head coach again. Like, briefly. <laughs> I mean, he is the guy on the staff that you would – Make the inner. Um, right. That would make perfect sense. I was just um, making sure that was he's not. I, I was he's not the interim all year. That's it's not like a season long thing. So we're good. So from states like non conference stamp schedule standpoint, it's what I would consider passable. You you have a couple good opportunities. Otherwise, it's kind of some okay opportunities at best. Um, if your state, you really need to find a way. If you can get Rutgers. 
if you can play Northwestern, obviously that's out of your control. Um, that would be one that you want to get. And then, you know, North Texas is your other best opportunity there, really. Well, I mean, Arizona State and Washington State are both higher in Ken Palm, but I would expect Wazoo is picked 11th in the Pac-12. I could see them kind of fall off some this year. Arizona State, we'll see. They're kind of middle of the pack in that league. Um, North Texas, though, is typically a pretty good team there. They're in the American Conference now as well. Um, it, it, it's an okay non-conference slate. It's nothing incredible. Probably fairly similar to what you faced last year. Uh, which, I mean, last year you got helped out so much because of Marquette. Like, you had that win on your – Marquette was like a two-seed last year. That, that just worked out for you. So, you have to hope – I don't know if you're going to get that from this schedule in the non-conference slate. You need to take care of business. You can afford a loss or two, but you, you have to be careful. Just so I'm not going to run through the whole SEC schedule game by game, but like these were just the notes. I mean, the fact that you get South Carolina twice, I know you get them that every year, but that is good for you. They are probably going to be the worst team in the league, even though State always seems to split that series. But they swept it last year. But obviously, though, your other four teams that you have twice, again, you know you get Alabama Ole Miss twice every year. That is what it is. But also, it's Auburn and Kentucky. Now, Auburn's kind of picked middle of the pack in the SEC this year. Again, it's a lot of uh, they have Jani Broom, who's obviously really good, but outside of that, it's a lot of new, new faces of questions for them. But they're probably a tournament team. Like like I mentioned, Kentucky, it's just loaded up on freshmen. Um, and, you know, it, it, they're trying to get back to being Coach Cal, Kentucky. That's tough to have that choice. Um, I already talked about, you know, it, it sucks that you have those teams early that you do, but you hope that you can – that they're still sorting things out right as you're trying to get Tolu back. You only get Vandy once and you get them at home. Thank God. Because Lord knows none of us want to have to go to Memorial Gym. Um, Vanderbilt can be weird. You know, they can be solid again. They're probably not going to be a tournament team. Maybe a fringe NIT, NIT team, but that's still Vandy on the road. It sucks every single time. Good that you only get Tennessee and Texas A&M once. Those are your two favorites within the league. Um, Tennessee has, a, like, Josiah Jordan James and uh, – uh, Santiago Vescovi, like that crew is running it back. You have Wade Taylor, the fourth, the Texas A&M, who brings – they bring most of their team back. For, you know, those are two tournament teams from a year ago. Get Arkansas at home. You've had the upper hand in that series. Uh, Hogs kind of replacing a ton. A couple key guys back, but, I mean, it's that's another team sort of reloading. Going to be tricky to go to Florida and Missouri. Florida could be really good this year. Uh, Riley Kugel over there could, could be a – you know, we, Obviously, that's a kid you wish you had in Starkville. Um, Missouri did lose a lot, but that is a tough place to go. Um, and just the last little note, between having Georgia and LSU, uh, well, you play every team. Between those two, you prefer having Georgia at home. Georgia could end up being sneaky good. Uh, they're probably going to be low in the league, but LSU is probably going to be terrible. So if I have to pick where I'm going to go play on the road, I'd rather go play in Baton Rouge. Expectation for this to be a tournament team, even with the injury, right? Bracket Matrix has them as a nine seed, so that's like the average from all the projections. It's a schedule where I think it's tough to realistically get a high seed. I don't think that your strength of schedule is going to be high enough unless you were just dominant in SEC play, which I think is going to be tough because of Tolu missing early. But it's a good enough strength of schedule that if you handle your business in SEC play, I think you should be you easily make the field. Um, and I think ideally, if you're setting an expectation, man, let's go win a tournament game. You know, you have not done that since 2008, the last time you won a tournament game. Can this be the year you, you break through on that? 
which ultimately that's going to be my prediction. I think this team gets around 20 regular season wins, probably nine or 10 wins within the SEC, uh, which which is fine. I think you get like an eight seed and you get a win in the round of 64. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's I think that would be a season everyone would be excited about for men's basketball to move forward. Colton. Oh, well, hold on real quick. Because as we close out men's basketball, the men's team does play uh, a game. As we And where did it go? Did you cut my preview out of here? Of just realized I cut the wrong thing. I did. I absolutely cut it out. Oh, and my. I have no idea how to get it back. I just now it just occurred to me that I cut the wrong thing. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna undo a whole bunch and see what happens. <laughs> well, this is uh this is fun fun podcasting right I'm here. So sorry. I'm going to undo so much. Then I'm going to We're going to leave this in because I don't feel like editing. I had a bunch typed for Arizona State. Dude, I just realized I, I thought I was at the end of – it was at the bottom of my thing, and I accidentally copied and pasted it. And now I realize I did not accidentally I, – I, I know what I did. Okay, you tell me when it comes back up. You'd be watching for it. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to stall here for a second. Um. I don't really well. I don't even know what to say because I don't have my notes. I'm gonna get it back. here. It is. I'm gonna. Okay. You, is back. it there? It's back. All right. Copy it and paste it again, and then I'm going to. Where is it? Okay. Let me paste it first. Okay. Great podcasting. All right. It's pasted. So if you want to cut out, and... I'm going. I'm just. I'm just gonna hit redo and just redo all of it. So I'm you hoping keep, you start, you give your preview. Okay, let's talk about Arizona State for a, se- a second. So they're in their ninth season under Bobby Hurley. Uh, Bobby F. and Hurley, in the words of uh, John Rothstein, tournament team a year ago, very similar situation to State. They were in the first four. They did get a win. They beat Nevada, but then they lost to TCU. Really good game, 72-70 uh, in the round of 64. This is their third time going to the tournament under Bobby Hurley. Last year was their first time since 2019, just like Mississippi State. So kind of in a similar spot as a program. I think 2020, they had a pretty decent team, kind of like State did, and they just missed their window. Um, now, it's a tournament team, but unlike State, they are completely starting. over. They've got one starter back from a year ago. Uh, that's guard Frankie Collins, who averaged 9.7, led the way with three, 4.3 assists on the season. Um, the only other guys who are back that were like key players for them uh, – their wing, Jemiah Neal, he had 4.9 per game last season. Pretty good shooter, but it's all, like, in, in the paint. He's not really good outside the arc. Uh, they forward Alonzo Gaffney's back. He is out for this game, though. So, one of their starting bigs, they're going to be missing him for this game. Obviously, for State, where you don't have Tula Smith, you know, you would hope that works out for you. Team went heavy in the transfer portal, which you would expect, obviously, for a team that is losing so much. Uh, Kamari Lance is a forward out of Louisville, 5.9 per game, but he did more down the stretch last season. Um, pretty good shooter, and he had 18 points in their scrimmage that they played against uh, San Diego State earlier this year. Um, that's a guy that they have high expectations for. Really be a breakout player for them. Um, really, this whole group I'm about to talk about are players that they're, they're big on. Tulsa forward, Ryan uh, Selimbuge, I don't know. He led the way for Tulsa with 12 points and 9.2 rebounds a year ago. Um they're starting center. It's probably going to be LSU transfer Sean Phillips, who is a seven-footer. Um, that's a good, another guy they're really excited for. D. 
didn't do anything against at LSU. I I think he didn't get a point against when he played against MSU last year, but I don't think he really played for the Tigers much a year ago. They're expecting him though to like be one of those guys on that team. Uh, Malachi Davis is a JUCO player they like. A guy who's supposed to be a big piece for them. Another LSU transfer, Adam Miller, who's on his second transfer. He was also at Louisville. He scored ten when LSU played State a year ago. They are still waiting to find out if he's eligible. Like I checked as of this evening, nothing. You know, the NCAA doing what the NCAA does. Nothing has been made official as to whether or not this guy is eligible for this team. Um, so you know that that'll be something to watch for in this game. It looks like there's some potential there, but it's a lot of guys who are unproven. A lot of these guys that they brought in that they're high on. You talk about a guy like uh, Kamari Lands and like Sean Phillips. They really haven't done much in their college careers to this point. Um, so it, it's just hard to have high expectations for them. They were picked six in the Pac-12. They're unlikely to make the tournament. I think like two people had them in bracket matrix as like a, a tournament team. Um, but they did beat San Diego State. That scrimmage I mentioned, 72-68. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know what the Aztecs have back from that team that played for the national championship a year ago. But that is a good sign. Bobby Hurley's a good coach. His team typically are going to play pretty good hold defense. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just forgot that San Diego State played for the national championship. That's absolutely crazy. Yep. Sometimes I don't appreciate how amazing this sport is. Ryan Dutcher, really good coach. They had that buzzer beater. Uh Believe in the final four to go to the national championship uh, against FAU. So, yeah, that's I mean, crazy. yeah. Uh, I mean, look, that's, that's a good win for them in a, in a scrimmage. And you can, how much can you take away from a scrimmage? Who knows? But I, I think it's, it's a tough team. I think this is a good test for MSU. Uh, you know, the big question for you, like, it does feel like their best players are their guards. And it's like, okay, well, states without Shaq Moore. So, how much does that impact things? Um, and I think you, you kind of have to hope that Sean Phillips just does not have a breakout game with no Tolu Smith. Like I think that'd be that'd be great. You had Tolu Smith in this game, and that guy's supposed to be having his first kind of big performance. You get that one, you get that matchup. Obviously, not having him, it's tough. Um, that's going to kind of be the big things. But I, I think state, I think state can grind out a win, but this could be a little bit of a challenging game. Um, okay, I think now. We can start to try to go over and talk about women's basketball. The women's team is obviously interesting because, you know, look, the hype is obviously around men's basketball. That's just kind of how that's going to go. But the women's team obviously had a fantastic season a year ago. They have some key pieces back. They also went hard on the portal side. One of the best portal classes in the country in women's basketball. Um, And really from an expectation standpoint, realistically, like the higher expectations on the women's team than the men's team in terms of what we think this team could achieve. And our previews coming out a little bit late here. So they've already played one game, which we can talk about. And I got to say, Colton, I cannot imagine being a ranked SEC women's basketball team and losing your season opener. Can you imagine I such could, a thing? I could not even, I don't even think I could picture it. Like that is so foreign to me that that could possibly happen. Could you could you imagine if that, that happened to the preseason number one ranked team in the SEC? Would that not be just insanity? I, I could. I don't believe it. I don't think there's any way on earth that would ever happen. Um, uh, I mean, like again, remember this is a sport where as as late as four years ago there was hardly ever any big upsets. Like it didn't happen. 
So I really could not see the number one team losing on opening day. Like, no way. Certainly not. That That's never a thing that would take place. Um, and luckily we didn't have to worry about that with Mississippi State, though, because they did handle their business, unlike some teams in the SEC, uh, with coaches right. who and, and don't all, all, much attention. All jokes aside, all jokes aside um, clearly LSU is a little bit overrated, but – uh, if, if you don't get what we're referencing, and hey, you may not. I, I, don't, I know that women's basketball isn't everybody's cup of tea, and maybe you're just now wanting to get into it, and you'd like to know. Uh, they lost to number 20, Colorado. Um, neutral site game, I'm pretty sure. So Yeah, it was in Vegas. Still shocking. And what's interesting is that pretty much since – I see, keep coming back to this. Since Mississippi State generated that – awesome upset over UConn that shook the world. The only time a women's sport in my, that I could possibly think of took over ESPN for an entire weekend. I mean, that was, people forget that was all that was on the TV uh, that year. I mean, 111 games in a row, UConn was unstoppable. I don't, I don't think they had been like even close that whole season. Since then teams have invested more in women's basketball, the teams that previously didn't because up at, South Carolina, we can admit, was ahead of the curve. But other than that, you had like Baylor, Tennessee, and UConn. And then here and there, when other teams caught lightning in a bottle, they would maybe push for a couple years to try to be good. But nobody was really investing. And now you see Arizona. Uh, I guess Stanford was one of those teams that's always uh, been yeah, been, they've into, always been they, they've, really, they've been – well, they've invested across the board more in some niche sports than most schools and maybe less in some other sports. Um I don't remember ever talking about Stanford men's basketball, but um, and maybe I'm I'm, mis- I'm I'm off on there, but you know Maryland has made some pushes. There's uh, Ohio State in the Big Ten. Miami's been really good. You see what we've driven Ole Miss to do uh, in men's and women's basketball, arguably with some of the coaching coaching uh, decisions they've made recently. Um, you just see a lot. It's a lot more chaotic, like the men's game always has been, and the men's game's always been chaotic because basketball is an unpredictable chaotic sport when there's in football there's 22 people in the field at the at a time there's 22 ways to control the game at a time and in basketball there's only 10 you know so there's a lot that's why you play series in the nba for the playoffs because it is just so unpredictable and then baseball of course everybody's like oh well, there's nine players baseball's one-on-one so it's the least predictable you know that at any given point it's a pitcher and a hitter and that's it so anyway i just would really like to appreciate where the women's game is right now and Mississippi State's role in getting it that way. Because seriously, I, I when, when people saw Mississippi State's enrollment, like go into the stratosphere right after that game. I know I know people that only went to Mississippi State because of that game. Like I have many friends with that. They were on the fence and they're like, okay, I'm going. Um when you they saw enrollment triple, they saw uh attention and the way you can make money on off of that sport triple they realized how that we had been packing the gym for the women for a while and we were going to continue to do so it it caused uh, a movement so i really appreciate that we were really the at the forefront there but yeah going on to uh mississippi state women's basketball in 2023 it's really annoying that basketball season goes like over two years because every time you google you have to put both years or you will inevitably get the wrong thing because like if you want to put Mississippi State women's basketball 2022 you're going to get last spring and when you wanted two years ago you know like it never never works but anyway Mississippi State Alcorn State 
dominated the whole game. You win 77 to 42. You led by as much as 40, finished winning by 35. Um, and until you cleared the bench, the, the game was pretty much completely uh, – one side I like to look for in these games is, is the lead always growing? Is there ever a point where the lead starts to shrink and then you have to get back in front? And with the case with here, the case here was no. The lead was was constantly uh, growing for Mississippi State. There was never a point where Alcorn, you know, cut it to a much smaller number than it had previously been. Okay, um, I, I think it was. I think Mississippi State you know, raced out like a twenty to three lead, and that got crazy. And then it ended up being somewhere around like thirty five to fifteen or something like that. And you're pretty much in total control from from that point on. So that's good. That's what you want to look for. Um, rebounding was incredible. You out-rebound Alcorn State 70 to 34. 70 rebounds in a game, first of all, tells you two things. One, that you're good at rebounding. And two, that shooting was not going well, probably for both teams, which was the case. Uh, I, uh, this was not an offensive masterpiece by any, by any stretch. Um, you shot 36% from the floor and 16% from three, and that is poor, very poor. Um, but you did defend without fouling. You only allowed 27% shooting, 25% from three. You only gave up seven. You only They only had shot seven free throws. That's really impressive. You got 12 steals and seven blocks. You did have 18 turnovers, so a very sloppy game, which, which you expect when there's newcomers, freshmen playing, first game of the year. Um, now, most of those turnovers were in the first half. I think 13 were in the first half. And so the second half, I mean, if you had had – Five, if both halves only had five turnovers, you'd be like, great, no, no problem. But 13 in the first half is crazy. And maybe I might have that incorrect, so do not quote me on that. But that's what I, I'm going based off memory because I checked the box score at halftime last night. So that brings up, you know, what this looks uh, – looks, uh, uh, what this game means for the whole season, and the answer is absolutely nothing. This is like when you play Southeastern Louisiana in football or when you play – VMI and baseball and you sweep it means nothing when you lose one when you give up a, a multi uh like what like an eight or seven or eight run lead that we gave up in that Saturday game it means something um so there's not too much you can glean from this not too many questions that were answered uh we are going to provide those questions for you and those questions are concerning this team and their season outlook is can the three-point shooting be a weapon again and I'll admit I'm not sure I would have had this question before last night, but it is a little bit of a question, okay? You were four from 24 last night. One, that's 16%. That is, that's poor. Four, three, if you're obviously going to be a volume shooting team. I don't, you were a volume shooting team last year. I don't think that uh, Sam Purcell is, it would have to get pretty dire for before until we start saying, hey, we're not going to take as many threes. I think he wants to take those shots. He wants to take them early in the shot clock. He wants lots of possessions. He wants to run. He wants to beat you down the floor. He wants to create turnovers, cause chaos. He want he doesn't want you to have to find a certain player to get the ball to to bring it up the court. He wants every, probably everybody except Jessica Carter to bring it up the court if they if needed, push, score quickly, get back on defense. And that's going to involve taking some threes early in shot clocks and. Last year was a weapon for you. 35.3% from the field last year from three uh, as a team is pretty freaking good. Uh, need that to be another thing this year because last night it was poor. And I, I do think that last year it started off poorly and, and heated up later. But I think the next question is, do you have two bona fide number one options on this team? Obviously, we know what Jessica Carter has been 
from a rebounding defense and scoring perspective. She's a girl who can take over uh, games when necessary. Not one, not like Tierra McCowan or Victoria Vivians, where you either have to game plan the entire game to stopping one person or they're going to get 30 points. I don't think it's quite at that level, but she is a number one scorer to the way, uh, the way that, you know, not like Angel Reese was or Leah Boston was, but as good as you've had outside of that very, very top tier, right? Like that, probably that number two tier of number one player. And I, I, I promise you this, a player that nobody in the country would, would not want to have on their team. But Jerkelia Jordan, we've seen her after her freshman year at Tulane really blossom the last few years. Last night, 8 for 16, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 2 assists. It, is that the kind of thing that she can do night in and night out? I think we remember two years ago when Annie Hayes uh, really thrived uh, in her in, as a shooting in her shooting guard role more than her point guard role uh, when she came from Middle Tennessee State. You kind of did have – that was your number one. Jessica, if she had been on the court, had been your number two. That was the year that she took off, of course. Rakia Jackson was going to be some of that. But really, the newcomer took over with Anastasia Hayes as an older player and really thrived. Obviously, Jaquilla Jordan's been here a little while, but she's got every year she's gotten better. Every She's always been a spark plug. She's always been somebody who can go out and get you a bunch of points. She's always been a high-energy player. But now is she somebody that can consistently lead this team and, you know, tie for the lead in rebounding and tie for the team and uh, team lead and, uh, excuse me, well above the team lead in scoring. And I think the last big question is what do you have in Jasmine Brown Hager and Miracle Shepherd? Um, trying to look past how you spell Miracle's name. It's Miracle, but with a J instead of an I. Uh, so don't try to like pronounce that. Don't try to pronounce that consonant. Okay. Just, just putting that out there. Last night was very forgettable in their debut. I think uh, Brown Hager was one for nine and Shepard was one for six. But those are freshmen that were trusted with a lot of minutes. Uh, both had more than 15 minutes last night. You had a lot of players play a lot of minutes. And a few that uh, that got in the game but didn't do too much minutes-wise. But you did have, you did spread it around, and those are two players that you're probably going to be are going to need to count on. Miracle Shepard and, and uh, Brown Hager are both very talented recruits. Are they like Debrisha Poe last year that can come on and be a difference maker as as young players? The way that you kind of – it's, again, the way that the women's game is becoming more like the men's game, you are expecting players to come off – to come out their freshman year and make an impact. You're not – you know, and thinking of the women's game, everybody plays the, – the, the biggest difference between the men is that the one-and-done thing is not really a thing in women's, right? So – and men's all these freshmen are always tearing it up. I think now they're starting to get more toward more older players are contributing more. But That's now in the women's the are trend. kind of seeing that older players are doing better. Right. Yeah. But that, that's Drew, why I I'll mean, never Drew, forget. I'll never forget Drew Timmy, man. Drew Timmy was a force. He he was absolutely a long absolutely criminal. He's not on an NBA roster right now. Okay. Not to bring this all back to men's basketball. What was the uh God, what was the name of the kid at Alabama? The white kid. Oh, dude, I'll never get the it white. It was kid. Riley something, right? Uh, I could not tell you. Whatever they, they had a, a, a white dude who was there for decades, and they've got another white dude in the roster this year. Some transfer. And I'm like, there we go. 
Like you always have to have a white guy to hate on every basketball team, and Alabama's got another. I mean, look at look at look at Mississippi State's team. I mean, every we're not other than Josh Hubbard, or we at we're a as veteran as they come, as experienced as they come, and that's just it's swing the pendulum swinging back to where we were when John Wall and Carl Anthony Towns and uh, all those guys at Kentucky were doing those things, you know. Well, and again, well, and we'll stop talking about the men's team here because they give the women's team their shine, but like it's. One of the stories with Kentucky is that because you are seeing – because, like, even Kentucky the last few years, I know it's one guy, but, like, Sheboy was around for a while. Like, you've mm-hmm. seen some of those players stick around a little bit longer at Kentucky, and this year Cal's, like, gone straight back to, to – In Sheboy, in Sheboy's case, too long. Yeah. No, and and you see this year Kentucky's all back to, like, freshmen. We're going back to what John Calipari knows. So that, that'll be interesting to see how that team like goes up against more veteran rosters. But like you mentioned, to bring us back to women's basketball, like that's been the case for the women's game for a long time. It's like, cause those players don't leave early. Right. There's no point. I mean, there's no, there's not enough money in the WNBA to not get your degree. That's sad. That's unfortunate, but that's, but that's the case. I think, I think INSQ maybe did it once. Uh, I think that's the only one. She left Oregon a year early. I think I'm not positive. But well, I mean, the, the best women's player in the country. It was a big story that she chose to come back for another year. Right, but but I mean, if that was if Caitlin Clark was a was a men's basketball player, there'd be no question. Like it, it wouldn't even it would it wouldn't even be a talking point. Like obviously, they're going to the NBA after a season like that, you know. Right. So talking about freshmen, um, I'm gonna do the reasons for optimism, reasons for concern, and then like best newcomer, best breakout player, um. Reasons for optimism is you're returning three starters, and then you but you brought in three big transfers too. So obviously, Debrisha Poe, um, Jessica Carter, and uh, Jacalia Jordan, you've already talked about. But Lauren Park Lane, I love this thing that Sam Purcell does when he goes and gets the best player on a mid major team that's seasoned and experienced and has played some some good competitive basketball, and then brings them in to contribute to an SEC team. Lauren Park Lane from Seton Hall, one of the top-rated transfers in the class, 20.8 points, 6.3 assists, and 2.7 rebounds. Not – and we'll come back to this later. Some of these transfers are not the three-point threat that you would like on a Sam Purcell team. 28.8% from three, 40% from the floor. But, I mean, 6.3 assists and 20.8 points, you can't – that's just the type of skill you can't teach. And I think all four years at uh, Seton Hall – Last year was definitely her best year, but all four years at Seton Hall, she's averaging – it's not her freshman year, but the last – she's only increased in her points, but 17.3 as a sophomore, 18.3, and then 20.8. And then uh, her assist numbers have st- have stayed between five and seven every single year. Doesn't foul, Never has never had more than two fouls uh, per game in a season. Really, somebody that is is going to be a floor general, and that strong in following that strong tradition of point guards in Mississippi State. I mean, we all remember Morgan William, Jasmine Holmes. I hate to even say Maya Taylor's name, a personal friend of mine at one point who has now just stabbed us in the back. I'm kidding. I'm I'm. It's not no hard feelings really, but uh, going to continue that tradition. Erin Barnum. I'm going to say she's a small forward. She's six two. Listed as a forward. I don't like ESPN. They just say guard or forward is, is all they have it now nowadays. I think on Mississippi State, she's gonna have like the slash by, you know, they they don't like to commit. I like to I like labels. So, but last year at Arkansas, she had 15 points, one and a half assists, and six and a half rebounds, 55% uh field goal shooting. So she's over there like 
putting up uh, field goal percentage, percentage numbers like a center. I think she's really good at slashing and, and getting those open looks at the rim, though. 29.5% from three-point uh, land, so you'll take that. And then on last night, she had 13-11. So you really uh, appreciate that from Aaron Barnum. If, if I mean, if she wants to go ahead and get 13-11 every game, uh, you can go ahead and book your book your ticket to host in these late in these earlier rounds of the NCAA tournament. I still I still appreciate that. I know that they're trying to make the women and the men's tournaments exactly the same, and I know they're going to get away from it at some point. But hosting women's basketball uh, tournament games is an underrated aspect of of the sport. I really appreciate. Well, Don't like it when way, we have to go to. I was going to say like it's it's just a way to we don't have to dance around the fact that like, obviously attendance is not going to be as great at, at most women's basketball games and a men's game. That's it just is what it is. But by putting them on campus, that's a way to attract people to it because you can, you, you bring it the decreases from the, it decreases from the, it's another reason in the long list of reasons why upsets were less common in the women's game for so long. Sure. But, but, but you get some still, great crowds that you get in the postseason in kind of the way that you do for baseball. You do. It's, it's, it's really cool. So, and then Darion Rogers, I might be saying that wrong, guys. It because it, it might be like Hermione, D A R R I O N E, but I'm gonna say Darion until further notice. But Rogers from DePaul, another point guard, 16.8 points, 4.7 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 36% field goal percentage, 31% from three. So you'll take you'll take the 31% from three. Uh, I, th- I guess that's probably her favorite shot, considering that she, her overall field goal percentage isn't much higher. So I guess she is a little bit of a, a, a bit of a what you would call a three point threat. But again, you just go to these Big East teams and take their best player. I'm I'm all about it. So I think depth is another reason for optimism. Um, and we'll see how the schedule is another reason for optimism here in a minute. But depth wise, you played eleven girls last night, and then. Of course, you're gonna you need to clear the bench against Alcorn State. Uh, uh, I don't know who on the roster didn't play last night, but if you're on the roster not redshirting, you need you should have been on the court last night at some point, bar none. But nine players played at least 15 minutes. Okay, you had Romani Parker, of course, the two freshmen we've already talked about, Darion Rogers, all came off the bench and averaged over, and 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 not uh, total tallied over 15 minutes. Debrisha Poe only played 15 minutes, and then everybody else played 24 minutes or more of the, of, of the starters. Debrisha Poe being the, the least proliferative in terms of minutes amongst the starters. But you had a lot of girls play, a lot of girls can shoot. If you, if you can roll nine deep throughout the, the NCAA tournament, really, I mean, if you can trim it down to eight or seven, you'll be okay. But if you have nine players that you feel comfortable putting out there in any situation, a uh, game on the line or whatever, you, you feel really, really good. Recall when we had, you know, 2021, I think you really only had six players and maybe at one point six and, and a walk, five and a walk on or something like that. Crazy. When Doug Novak was coaching and you had the mass exodus and stuff, we've come a long way to say the least. You also, I'm going to, let me count this before I get it wrong. You had, let's see, one, two, three players that had double doubles last night. You're really getting contributions from everybody across the board, and that's really important. And also, your freshmen that you've recruited are not the type of freshmen they're going to have to sit on the bench, buy their time, wait their turn. You've got freshmen that can play. Moving on to now the uh, 
hold on, I lost my place here. Reasons for concern. That was the next thing. Um, could Debrisha Poe be in a sophomore slump? I don't want to diagnose her with that after one game, but only playing 16 minutes when all the other starters played at least 24 minutes, one for four. Uh, I think she was her- she was kind of oversold, unfortunately for her, as the next Victoria Vivians. Not at that level, okay? Please don't put that on her. But it is going to be interesting to see if she can maintain where she was at last game last year. Last year she was streaky. I mean, she would be – She'd have games that were just – you scratch your head and you're like, okay, and then she'd have games where she, she might be the best player on the court. You had opposing teams, teammates, opposing players complimenting her on how good she was at a young age and talking about – I had fans of other teams that would tell me, like, that girl is is going to be fantastic. I wish, you know, Ole Miss fans saying that they wish they had gotten her. Auburn fans, I think, saying the same thing. I think they were recruiting her. So can she be more consistent? Can she not hit a slump? That's what we're uh, looking at. And then, according to last night, if you if you're judging by that, two off the first, two of the four off the bench are freshmen. Two of the first four off the bench are freshmen. We've talked about how impact freshmen can be a plus for you, but the fact that they're a freshman and that you might have to count on them for big minutes could be a concern. And then, lastly, you know the the Southeastern Conference is loaded. They've got eight projected tournament teams again, uh, which is second in the NCAA. You got three two seeds, no one seeds, but three two seeds. If you if the bracketology holds as of this moment, it's probably a change from last night. I think uh, after LSU lost, but you've got all these uh, really tough teams. You've got some fringe tournament teams. You've got to go on the road to play a lot of these teams. It, it's going to be tough, and and the schedule it is very favorable depending on how you look at it. If you're in the camp of you're going to lose to South Carolina, LSU, Tennessee anyway might as well try to get all your wins elsewhere, then it's probably not that favorable. But if you're like us and you think that we can compete with some of those teams and you're not ex- going to accept defeat out the gate, uh, the fav- the schedule is very favorable. And you'll see what I mean in a second. So they're uh, projected a six seed at Colorado State, a neutral game site game at Miami, uh, excuse me, neutral site game versus Miami, at Memphis and a neutral site game for Clemson. Excuse me, the ne- Clemson's the neutral site. Miami's at home. Sorry. Yeah, Miami's Clemson's the uh, ACC challenge. Oh, my God. Something just fell over in my room and scared the crap out of me. Anyway, uh, but, yeah, at Colorado State, at Memphis, Miami at home, Clemson on neutral site. It's a pretty strong uh, non-conference slate. You got Tulsa in there, too, uh, a couple others, uh, I think, that aren't, you know, not, not like something to write home about, but some very good non-conference non-conference games. You know, you're not going to go play like Iowa or Maryland or something like that. Uh, there's no point. Uh, I'm trying to see if they're doing the neutral site game. They're going to play. This is very interesting. November 19th, there looks like they're playing at Belmont. Very interesting that they would play uh, a team like Belmont in Nashville instead of um, – they're going at Memphis, at Fort Collins. It's almost like they scheduled this – They've got a they've got three games in Houston at a neutral site. It's almost like they scheduled this non-conference thing thinking that they're going to still be working on the hump this year. Um and maybe maybe they were. Maybe that was kind of a point of the schedule, but they're not going to do like the neutral site thing in Jackson it looks like. So, sorry for those of you that look forward to seeing the girls play in Jackson. But they are predicted as a 6 seed right now playing in debatably the toughest conference. They do have to go to South Carolina early to Arkansas, which is a a fringe uh, NCAA tournament team as of right now. They get Tennessee and LSU at home. 
So if you're looking for and if you're looking for big upsets there in the mid to early part of the SEC schedule, they're there. Texas A&M, not great last year. Anticipated by some to be an eight-ish seed this year. Don't know. They, they where were that picked came from, eight but... in the SEC media poll. Um. So, so we're gonna assume that they're right there. Uh, that is an away game, so that'll be tough. And then at Bama is an away game. Here's where you get you got a chance to make some hay. So obviously you're gonna play Ole Miss twice, and they're pretty good. But Florida is your is I think was like how many games they play? They 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 play uh they play 16 games. So they were six and ten last year, and Kentucky was two and fourteen. And you play that those are your are your double opponents besides Ole Miss. So that could be very favorable. Um, I, I'm not doing a deep dive in those rosters. Florida might be really good this year. I don't know. I doubt Kentucky is, but those are some of the teams that you're going to be glad that you got twice when the season's all said and done. Uh, Vanderbilt at home, you'd rather play that game on the road because they're not great. Um, you do get Georgia at home. Georgia has been a little bit tougher in recent years. You get Auburn on the road. That's that's probably a good thing because you 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 like to think you could beat Auburn regardless. Although they did play you tough last year. So from a schedule, for if you're the ambitious type person, the schedule is very good. I, I'm this opposite of the way I'm in football. I'd rather just go ahead and if you're like ever going to play Georgia, I'd like to just get that game on the road. That means you get another home game that's a more beatable opponent because I don't think I don't I don't think it matters where you play Georgia. I'm not going to be that way for women's basketball. Uh, I'd like to get SC at home. Uh, on the road at SC is going to be really tough. But LSU and Tennessee at home, I'm circling those for upset upset potential. Did you go through already your, your newcomer and breakout? I'm sorry if I zoned out. I was trying to check. Oh, yeah, that's the last thing. I skipped that. I skipped that. So, now yeah, we are going to go through that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, so I, I was trying to check because you were the, the non-conference opponents. I was trying to see if any of them were projected for the tournament. Um Miami is yeah. the only one who's seen as like a fringe tournament team. Uh, they, they lost a lot of their team from a year ago that obviously made a deep run. Um, but Memphis has been okay in women's basketball. Clemson was, I think, okay last year, but they typically haven't been. But I don't know. Uh, Colorado State was decent last year. So, I mean, like, there, there's it's, it's a decent schedule. But, of course, you play in the and SEC. You got, I mean, all of those are, except for Memphis, uh, Miami, all of those are either road or neutral site. So. True, true. They're, they 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 did their – I mean, when you're an SEC team, there's only so much you can do scheduling-wise. Like, if you want to call UConn and say, hey, let's play, you can do that. I don't know why you would. South Carolina does, and that's been good for the sport. But that's that's just not something – you're not going to call, you know, Iowa, Baylor, and UConn and say, hey, let's play a bunch of non-conference games. But as far as your normal non-conference schedule can be, they made it about as as, as thick for, as, they could, as they could. You know, going – playing – I've never – I don't remember the last time we played this many games away from Comfort Coliseum. Uh, it's actually probably devalued the season ticket price and, uh, enough enough to do that, to be honest. I mean, your home – your non-conference home games are Valley, Jackson State, Kennesaw State, UT Chattanooga, New Orleans, Jacksonville State, Southeastern Louisiana, and obviously uh, Alcorn State. You know, you're a lot of those non-conference games are being moved are being played away from Starkville. So that'll be good for good for the team to beef themselves up. Uh I do I do find it odd that they had that many games away. Best newcomer, definitely gonna be Lauren Park Lane. I think um gonna give you some stability at point guard. I think last year without Maya Taylor, you were a little bit it was odd at point guard. Anastasia Hayes did really, really well. 
I think for the for the task she was given, which was to move to shooting guard and go from a volume scorer to being more of a distributor, again, it's a little bit positionless for the guards. I, I think Sam Purcell expects any, anybody that's a one, two, or three to be able to bring the ball up. But Lauren Park Lane has been not only a scorer, but a floor general and a playmaker throughout her career. So I think that stability is going to be very important. She played a ton of minutes uh, last night. Let's see. She was at 28, which was tied for the lead. Didn't what? Not very prolific. She only had two two field goal attempts, or excuse me, four field goal, field goal attempts, and made two of them. So she wasn't being very aggressive last night. But seven assists. Uh, if you can keep that up, you'll go with it. You had 15 assists total on the night, which is a pretty good number. Nobody else had more than two besides Lauren Park Lane, though. I think your breakout player could be Romani Parker. I think when Jessica Carter is not on the court, Romani Parker could be a real asset for you. She's a little bit more uh, limber. Jessica Carter and just as tall, maybe not quite as consistent, but nine rebounds, six points last night, not far away from a double-double herself. And last year, hit some big shots for you down the stretch. I think uh, she averaged 15 points, five rebounds last year. So somebody that can really uh, help you a lot a lot this year. I would I would consider her maybe the sixth man right now. And if, if Debrisha Poe contributes to struggle, if you ever have a team where you want to go big and you want to just – uh, play above the rim, uh, above the rim as much as you can in, in the women's game. Might be somebody that you uh, can find a way in the starting lineup a couple times. And I think now we've gone down the list of everything we're supposed to talk about. I mean, full expectations for this team. I mean, do you, I think we all expect to make the tournament. Is this a team that can make a deep run though in March? Uh, so this is a the thing. They're a six seed right now. Okay. You play your way, you act, you exceed expectations a little bit, and this is this is literally going to come down to win all the games Charlie Cream thinks you're going to win, and one of South Carolina, LSU, Tennessee. You get to that point, and I, and you're looking at a four seed. You're hosting. You got people playing at home. Uh, you got uh, the dogs playing at home. The crowd rocking at Humphrey Coliseum. I think the people will be excited by that point, especially you know depending on what the men do. I don't know if this is – I do feel like the men doing good helps you more than it – Something you, a lot of times the men doing good, bad hurt – excuse me. The men doing well hurts the women's team in terms of attendance and excitement. I think this year, since both teams are on the, a very similar upswing, it's going to be kind of a combined excitement. So I think that can be good for the team. Anyway, back to what I was saying. If you win, find a way to get one of those three games – Okay, and everything else goes chalk. You're in that hosting discussion, that four, that three or four seed. You are playing at home. I expect you to make the Sweet 16. That's how it goes. If you're on the road uh, for the first round, you're a five, six seed, seven seed, something like that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be just like last year when you were the 11. You had to play. I guess the 11 has to play the six. Eventually, you play no or no, you play the six first after the first game, and then you play the host team, which was Notre Dame. You lost that game Notre Dame by slim by a slim margin. You're going to be in a similar situation uh, this year if everything goes according to plan. If you can just exceed expectations a little bit in the regular season, okay. And again, it might come down to one of those big games. You could see yourself in a, in a scenario where it's Sweet 16 or bust. Again, if, if they're if they're playing games at Comfort Humphrey Coliseum in the postseason, I expect them to make a deep run. I hope that's the case. Obviously, exciting times for Mississippi State basketball. Um, high expectations for both teams. Obviously, the men's team has kind of been hit with some 
some rough stuff this offseason, but still could be a really fun year. And then the women's team, you really – I think we all thought there was a chance that team could get to the tournament, but to get to the tournament and then, you know, get the wins that they did was very impressive for them. And you think they can, you know, hold – hopefully build off that going forward. So, fun times at the hump. Get to the humps for hoop. Uh, hump for hoops and uh yeah that'll do it for us today um we will talk later in the week i guess preview football because we have to uh but like i said the discussion around football is kind of shifting for more big picture and uh floating names out there as opposed to really discussing the team itself um but that'll do it for us today thanks everybody for listening uh thanks to colin for always on as always finger sword hail state are we sleep in may